Uh, I'm going to read to you from John uh, chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12, which is the passage uh, that Roy is going to talk to us from. Chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. I'm going to welcome Roy up. I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to clear all my bits and pieces out of the way. Lord God, we thank you for Rory. Thank you for bringing him safely down here from up north. And we just pray, uh, we thank you for all the work that he has put into preparing this. We thank you for the ways that you have spoken to him. And we pray that you will continue to speak through him as he shares uh, with us this, us this morning. We just pray you bless him and you bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for your welcome. It's a joy and a privilege to be with you on this occasion. And I bring greetings from the north of England, a considerably warmer north of England than it is here in the freezing south. Uh, we haven't quite leveled up yet. I will no longer complain that I followed on the A1 a single carriageway, a tractor the other day, having sat on the M25 yesterday in four lanes of traffic and thousands of vehicles. I bring greetings also from the Baptist Union of Great Britain, of which you are a part. I'm a pioneer ambassador, which means I speak for, advocate, and have the privilege of mentoring young men and women whom God is raising up for such a time as this to help us think with imagination about what it means to follow Jesus in a very changing world. What are we doing here this morning? What's this all about? Who is Jesus? What has he come to bring? What is his kingdom like? How does Jesus rule? The occasion that brings us together here is so paradoxical, isn't it? For us as a family, this is the best of times, celebrating the gift of Thomas Johannes, being part of a dedication service. But there are dark clouds over this occasion, given the evil that is being perpetrated throughout Ukraine, and the consequences that are not only for Vardui and, her fa and the family, for her mum here, Sonia, has had to flee Ukraine, and at the moment she's the only one who's allowed to come into Britain. 
but for the other members of the family who are now scattered across Europe in the, the Netherlands and Germany and the Czech Republic. For her brother Ovik, who has had to lay down his baton as an orchestra conductor to pick up a shovel to dig trenches and fill sandbags and take up a gun that he's never possessed before. Let's also remember Inessa, a colleague of Joshua's at Spurgeon's College, who's here this morning, her husband Vladimir and their two children, Martha and Andrew. They're here, but many members of Inessa's family are still in the Ukraine. This is the best of times, but it's also the worst of times. We're living through a world that is being shaken and a world that is being ruled by too many autocratic leaders and dictators. We can see clearly, can't we, what President Putin's rule and reign is all about. It's about power and control. It's about manipulation and propaganda and tyranny. It's nationalistic. It's fearful. It's authoritarian. It clamps down on any dissident voices. His reign was birthed in blood and it will end in blood and many tears. But it's not as though the world hasn't encountered this before. Open up your scriptures, read history. The world into which Jesus came was ruled by the Romans who ruled with military, political and economic might. They dominated and they dictated how things were. They crushed any opposition. They established their empire at all costs. People knew what it was to be under the rule of the Romans. It was one of fear. And they knew who the emperor was. But then onto the scene as we begin this new series in John's Gospel emerges Jesus, the word who becomes flesh and dwells among us, full of grace and truth. But who is this Jesus who's just emerged from 30 years of obscurity? John's Gospel, as you'll be journeying through this series, was written to share the good news about who Jesus is and the difference that Jesus Christ can make not only to individual lives, but to the world. At the end of the Gospel, we read these words. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. John's saying there, there are so many signs, and there isn't enough space to put them down, but I've written these ones so that you might understand who Jesus is, and in understanding you might come to believe, and in believing you might have life. So the first sign here in John chapter 2 is Jesus changing water into wine. And what do we learn about such a sign or a miracle? Firstly, that the, we discover that this was a surprising intervention. Verse 1 tells us, it happened on the third day. What's the third day? Was it Tuesday? Was it Wednesday? What's the point, John, of mentioning it was the third day? Well, if you know your scriptures, and Holy Baptist Church knows its scriptures, you'll know that that phrase, in the third day, appears a lot of times in the scriptures. For example, when Moses, after God had set his people free from slavery in Egypt... God declares that on the third day he will give his law, his way for living, that people might experience his good and loving purposes for the world, how to live and to love God and to love their neighbor, how to live well. And it came on the third day. 
or the prophet Hosea in chapter 6, when people had become really complacent about God. Their faith was quite nominal. God was peripheral. God was at the margins. And there was this dawning realization as the events of Hosea's day were being shaken that actually we need to get right with God. And so they cried out to God. And it was on the third day that they cried out to God knowing that he would hear and answer and restore their faith. And when you get to the end of John's Gospel, we read, of course, that it was on the third day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And John knows that when he writes his gospel and he notices in this incident at the wedding feast that it's on the third day that God intervenes and Jesus performs a miracle, a sign. We worship this morning a God of surprises. And secondly, we have the beginning of a grassroots uprising. Where did this take place? We are told that it was in the village of Cana in Galilee. Where the blooming heck is that? (laughs) You won't hear it mentioned anywhere else at all. It's a backwater. It's a place of insignificance. Cana. In contrast, you've got the places of significance and power. And the place in the middle of the east, which was a place of great significance and power, was Caesarea Philippi. And if you were a Roman, that was the buzzing place. It was the place to be. The religious power hub was in Jerusalem. And it was there that the high priests and the teachers and the scribes of the law, they were all in Jerusalem. But Cana, it was so insignificant, most people would have no idea where it was. Cana. For one thing, it's in the blooming north. Northerners. I just feel I need to share at this point that all the disciples were northerners. They were from Galilee. There was only one from the south, and his name was Judas, but we can't go into that. (laughs) What is Jesus doing turning up in the north? Cana. Cana. The point of this is that God is revealing himself not in the mainstream, in the places and hubs of power, be they military or religious, God is turning up on the margins. I get the privilege of mentoring and meeting and being aware of a whole host of people, predominantly younger people, although I appreciate at my age nearly everybody's a younger person. Those whom God is raising up for such a time as this, and they're doing some amazing things. And I get the privilege to hear on occasions to see and visit God at work in the margins of our society, among some of our Baptist pioneers, in a coffee van in Leeds working with vulnerable women who worked on the streets in Leeds, whose lives are being transformed by pioneers who've not only established a coffee wagon and creating and training baristas, but opened a bakery, or in Weatherspoon's pub in Black in Concert in County Durham, among young offenders in Acklington Prison, on the Old Lodge Lane housing estate of Purley, among believers in Aleppo, and among believers all over Ukraine. What did Vladimir Zelensky, the president, say? Even if you destroy all our Ukrainian cathedrals and churches, you will not destroy our faith. Our sincere belief in Ukraine and in the living God and the belief of our people. 
We tend to think that the really significant places, the power hubs, are in Parliament, in the city of London. My goodness, do we need to have some cleansing up in the city of London. We tend to think of the White House or the Kremlin, but we are confronted with a God who doesn't exert power to redeem and transform the world in those places. It's not the love of power, but the power of love that God brings healing and redemption to the world. So John is reminding us that God often shows up in the most unexpected places, often on the margins. And we need to note that when we're looking for signs and activity of the Spirit of God in the world to look to the margins, here in Hawley, as well as in other places. It's a bit like saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Cana? Yeah. And there was born a a grassroots uprising that began in those insignificant places. It's been interesting this week to, to, obviously in the news, Ukraine is featured predominantly, but so have the neighboring countries. Think of Poland. Thank God, Poland, together with every other European nation in the EU, and we will, I believe, because of pressure of people, our own government will have to catch up. The EU has spoken with one voice, And it's decreed with one policy, a response to the crisis in Ukraine. Just get yourselves over the border and you are all welcome. With Poland and the fall of the Iron Curtain, the demise of communism and state control in Poland, it's actually a fascinating story. The uprising began not in the seats of power, not in the parliament, not in the military, but it began in the shipyards, in the lunch breaks, during the changes in shifts, when the men gathered together and they remembered the story of Poland and they sang their songs and they told their stories and there was born a grassroots movement that led and toppled state control of the Soviet Union and its grip on Eastern Europe. The world is a very perilous place. Threats of nuclear missiles and the prospect of a nuclear war, these are not idle threats. The people of Ukraine have been dealt a savage blow and face an escalating war that will lead to the loss of life of thousands. We're witnessing a terrible, dark chapter in the history of the world. Those who know history know all too well, Dominic Grieve, the former Attorney General, that after a major world recession, there will always be war. The question is, where? And yet, in the midst of this terrible, dark chapter, even picked up by our media the other night on BBC News, amidst the darkness is shining bright the faith of so many Ukrainians. We really don't know how to pray. We really don't know how to respond, do we? For most of us here have never faced war. I was born in 1957. Harold Macmillan, Prime Minister, you have never had it so good and my generation has never had it so good. We've never faced the prospect of a world war. But we pray with the tiny mustard seed of faith that knows in the end evil will not have the last word. What did President say, the President of uh, Ukraine say? We are praying and working that evil will be eradicated from our land. Because that's what it is. And just as in the powers that were around in Jesus' day, the military might of Rome, the economic dominance of the empire, and the scheming plotting of religious fundamentalist leaders who put Jesus to death on the cross, thinking it was all over, 
But, here is the phrase again, on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. Now, I know you're a Baptist church. If it was a more charismatic Pentecostal, you'd always shout an hallelujah at this point. But let's just, <laughs> let's just quietly, we don't need to have a special church meeting to pass a resolution. Jesus rose from the grave. Okay? Ah, oh, that's better. Okay. Ah, you're not so respectful Southerners after all. Anyway, he conquered sin and death. He defeated all the powers of darkness. And he began an uprising that was to bring transformation to the world for good. The might of Rome collapsed and is no more. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, but Jesus is alive. And his spirit is at work in the world. And his kingdom, we are told, and we have sung, will have no end. And so we pray, your kingdom come. Lord, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So let's, in closing, just get back to that incident in John 2. There's a wedding and the wine runs out. No, it isn't that they hadn't ordered enough. The wine running out was a sign that the days of celebration surrounding a wedding feast were coming to an end. Jewish wedding feasts would take up to a week. They were huge occasions. You, you didn't have to be invited. If there was a wedding and you showed up, you were welcomed. Great community occasion. And then they've got this fascinating little conversation between Jesus and his mother. And Jesus' mother tells him, they've run out of wine. And it's lovely. I'd just love to have known more. Jesus said, it's not our problem, mother. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, mother, but my time has not yet come, says Jesus. But sometimes, as most of us know, mum knows best. And Mary senses that actually God is at work here. And she tells the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. I'd love to have eavesdropped into that conversation between Jesus and his mother. We're not told. But we are told is that there were six large water jars that were being used for the ceremonial washing. See, it was traditional custom. If you went to a feast, the host would offer the water jars, the servants of the host it would be their task as you came in to wash your hands, like we've had to get used to washing our hands. And as you left and departed from the party, from the house, you would wash your hands or have them washed again. Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars with water. It's a bit unusual for a guest to say that, but maybe he was just alerting them to the fact that the wine was running out. It's time to get the jars. And so they fill the jars with water as Jesus instructs, and they take him to their master, who is the master of ceremonies. The party's coming to an end. The wine has run out. It's time to go. But then something extraordinary happens. It must have been really weird for the servants. They're anticipating going through the ritual of washing other people's hands. But somewhere along the line, the water turns into wine. We're not told how it happened, but it happens. And then the master of ceremonies has the wine to taste. So I was expecting water, but now I've got wine. So he calls the bridegroom over and says to the bridegroom, I, I, I don't know what's going on, because the host always serves the best wine first. And then when everybody's had a lot to drink, you can bring out the cheap, less expensive stuff. We've all been at that place, haven't we? <laughs> Give them proper coffee, and then when they've had a few, just get out the jar and Nescafe. 
But the master of ceremonies says to his bridegroom, the host, but you've kept the very best till now. And John, who is writing his gospel and recording this incident, this miracle, this sign, is very careful to say, read the words, that the best wine is kept till now. And here John is telling us that the kingdom of God is quality. The difference Jesus makes is quality. The kingdom of God, the best wine, is about love and freedom. It's about mercy and compassion. It's about peace and reconciliation. It's about justice and freedom. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the signs of the kingdom of God. This is the best wine. The kingdom of God brings peace. Not only between God, but between people and between nations. The kingdom of God, we're told, breaks swords into plowshares. The kingdom of God disarms weapons of war. God's kingdom sends bread, not bombs. Feeds the hungry, shelters the homeless, welcomes refugees. Did you pick up the news yesterday that Ukraine is saying to Russian mothers of captured Russian soldiers in Ukraine, come and get your boys, your sons. That's a sign of the kingdom of God. A not sign of the kingdom of God is our refusal to let 149 Ukrainians at the border control in Cali to come into our country. God have mercy upon us. The judgment of God looms large over Britain in these days. But the kingdom of God is seen in the compassion of Ukrainian people in times of severe suffering and pain. The Russian shoulder soldier who in his tank was injured with his hand and they took him and operated immediately upon his hand, Ukraine, to their enemy. That's a sign of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God brings freedom to the oppressed, justice and healing to those who've been neglected, abused and rejected. The kingdom of God is about shalom, the Hebrew word. It's about well-being. This is what the kingdom of God's like, the good news. This is what the best wine is like. And it's so good and the best is yet to be that good will conquer evil. That love will conquer hatred. That peace will reign and there will be a day when there is no more conflict or wars. There'll be no more disease and pain and suffering. There'll be no more pandemics. Mothers won't cry out in fear for their loved ones. They won't need to weep anymore for lost loved ones. The earth will not be scorched. The seas will not be polluted. The floodwaters will recede and the famine will be a thing of the past. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. I said at the outset that this was a paradoxical day, a day of good news, best of times and worst of times. And we're here to celebrate not a wedding, but a dedication. Can I just, as a little footnote, commend you? Because I have prayer accompaniers who are looking online, and hi to those folks who support me in prayer. But they, on, their web, on your YouTube website, they saw the series that you've just conducted prior to this series. Can I commend you in the name of Christ for having the bottle and courage as a church 
to address issues biblically on human sexuality. Bless you, because that is the sign of a healthy church that can discuss, debate, even have diversity of opinions and yet remain united in Christ. I really commend you. I really commend you. And several of the people who are my prayer companies have messaged me and said, wow, what an amazing thing to do. So bless you in that. Anyway, here we are in this happy occasion with, with young Thomas, and we give thanks to God for this beautiful boy, a long-awaited precious son to a remarkable couple. But when I took baby Thomas in my arms less than 24 hours when he was born last August, uh, August I, I had dignified but shed tears. Tears of joy, but also tears of sadness, wondering what my generation has bequeathed to Thomas. And perhaps given the severity of the emerging global conflict, it's time for us not only to have dedicated Thomas to God, but perhaps it's time to rededicate our lives to serving the purposes of God's kingdom. To give our time and attention to the things that really, really matter in life. To love. To work for peace and justice. To be peacemakers and peacekeepers. To work for righteousness with compassion. To speak and also hear those whose voices are rarely, if ever, heard to as disciples of Jesus make a difference for good in the world, to pray, to give, to support, to open our hearts and our homes to God and our neighbors and to walk gently upon this fragile earth, respecting God, our neighbor, and the vulnerable planet on which we are privileged to live. Western modernity's arrogance that has said, particularly in the Western nations, we can live without God we have reaped a bitter harvest that is of destruction for the world. We've left the hungry hungry. We've left the homeless homeless. We've left the poor poor. The West is being shaken up and the major superpowers are changing. I love the name Thomas. It's simple and it's straightforward and it's strong. To me, he's not Thomas the tank engine, but he's Thomas the tonic. What a tonic for such a time as this to see and celebrate the gift of life. And I love that he has Johannes as his middle name. As we have gathered here to celebrate and dedicate his life, we dedicate our lives to the God whom Thomas reminds us in his middle name is a God who is gracious and a God who is faithful. Amen. Thank you, Roy. You really, God has really blessed us through your words uh, this morning. We're going to just take some time, just a couple of minutes. Some questions are going to appear on the screen. And it's just a time for you to think and consider maybe what God is uh, saying to you this morning. Um, so let's just uh, listen to these questions. Can you think of times and experiences in your life when God has shown up, revealed something of his presence, which has taken you by surprise? Do you believe that in the end love conquers hatred, goodness conquers evil and one day there will be no more wars, pain, suffering, oppression and injustice? 
How can we more fully align ourselves to the quality of God's kingdom and share it with others, making known the transforming power of that kingdom in our communities and the wider world?